Welcome to Volunteer Plain Talk Podcast, the podcast for today's leaders of volunteers. Your host is me, Meridian Swift. everybody and welcome back to the Volunteer Plane Talk podcast. It is my distinct pleasure to introduce to you our guest today, Wes Richardson, who is a volunteer manager, manager of volunteer services at a large hospital group in Northeast Tennessee. Wes, welcome to the podcast and thanks so much for joining us. Well, hi, Meridian. It is so wonderful to uh, be with you on the podcast. I've uh, been listening to you for for a little while. I, I, I will admit I've had some catching up to do, but I have enjoyed running through all of the episodes and getting so many different perspectives uh, from all of your wonderful guests. And now I'm, I'm more than happy to be one of them. Great, because you have, I figure, a very complex very compelling story, Wes. So let's just dive in. I want to start with you have a very interesting story when it comes to COVID and your current job. Can you just kind of walk us through that a little bit? Absolutely. I I, I love the use of the word compelling right there. There are a lot <laughs> of words I, you know, I would have thrown in <laughs> a lot of them, which a lot of a lot of uh, your listeners would uh, would agree on on some different terminology there, but I'll take compelling. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly been definitely compelling, definitely very interesting. So I moved from the Kansas City area to Northeast Tennessee for this current position, manager of volunteer services for a group of hospitals, and in December of 2019. Lots of excitement, of course, going into this position. This was my first time actually being a volunteer manager. I've held management positions in the past, and I've held volunteer leadership positions in the past where I was essentially a manager, but this was the first time it was official volunteer manager. So you can imagine my excitement to be able to do this and to be able to focus on volunteers and come in with all of these ideas and Think about that. December of 2019. <laughs> Life is good. It was it was a wonderful, wonderful time then. You know, I'm getting my feet wet. I'm going through the orientation process of my own, learning the systems. I'm in the leadership academy, the onboarding leader program. And then March of 2020 rolls around. Hooray! <laughs> everything <laughs> everything happened then happened, and it's uh, it, it it certainly stirred quite a, a roller coaster, I guess you want to say, of events. Very very serious time, of course. Yeah. You know, especially you know when you're in in hospitals and a healthcare system. Those early days, it was just what's going to happen? How fast are things going to happen? What do we need to do? You know, just about everything. Everything's you know just kind of popping up and popping up. Tragically, or well, I guess probably not tragically, unfortunately, I never really even got a chance to meet some, uh, some of my volunteers in person before I had to tell them that their volunteer role 
was suspended. I was actually looking back through a lot of my email communications that were going out in March of 2020 to the group. And it it went something along the lines of pet therapy program suspended, gift shop closed. And then March 17th of 2020, all volunteer roles suspended. And that went to, you know, pretty much everybody in the four hospitals that I was, you know, managing the volunteer uh, programs for. And that was a a tough email to type up. And I I don't have it in front of me. I don't know exactly what it said, but it was just kind of really being open and honest. We, We don't know what's going to happen with this. I'm going to do my best to keep you as informed um, as possible as we go through all this. The hospitals right now are very different places. They're kind of quiet. Visitation has been completely cut off at this point. Things are, you know, our areas are closed that used to be open and active. And this area over here is has seen a huge influx in a lot of different things. So just trying to be open and honest and communicate all of those things, because I I didn't know what was what was going on. It was such such new ground, such uncharted territory that all we can really do is say, you stay safe and secure at home right now. You know, I'll be here on this end as much as possible to try to fill you in. And we will just we'll just ride this ship together, you know? <laughs> yeah. So Wes, you basically sent out an email that says, hey, let me introduce myself to you. And by the way, stay home. That's that's exactly it. Now, we had the volunteer Christmas party in December of 2019. Mm-hmm. And so I did get to meet quite a few people face to face, but there were there were still some that, you know, maybe they worked in the evening and we had just never gotten a chance to cross paths or they uh, volunteered on the weekend or something like that. And we probably communicated by email or by phone or but some of them that I'd never met in person. Exactly that. I just, nice to meet you. You know, you have to stay home now. Yeah. And you know, you know what that makes me think of? I mean, I was in uh, one particular volunteer job for a long, long time. And I knew everybody. I knew the volunteers inside out as well as I knew my own family. So having to deliver uh, tough news to them was nowhere near what you had to do because not only are you, you know, telling them to stay home and hello, this is me. You have no idea what type of reaction, what type of reassurance each one of them individually, uniquely needed. So you had to learn all that via email and Zoom and and things like that, which is an unbelievably difficult thing to do. Absolutely, absolutely. And the... um, the thing that I always I always went back to was just and, and this was in all the follow up emails, just the reassurance and just the general kind of care and nurturing that I would try to give to them. You know, if you know that I would, of course, give to them if they were, you know, here, you know, volunteering in person. I just always wanted to give them that that kind of reassurance. And, and like you said, it's so many different personalities and wondering what's going on kind of in, in their heads too. Now we had a lot of volunteers who at the start of March, you know, into February, 2020, 
news was coming out and different things like that. So they went ahead and some of them kind of pulled back a little bit. Some of them went ahead and took a break before it was mandatory to take a break. But there were others who were just even on that that March, you know, 17th. They were, you know, at their post volunteering. And when I got those email replies back or those phone calls back, they said, just as soon as we're able to come back, I'm just going to I'm going to be right there at the front door waiting to, to jump back into my into my role whenever it's ready. So lots of different levels of apprehension, I guess you want to say, and levels of of concern. And so just trying to to meet all of those really in the middle, it's definitely an interesting experience. Well, not only that, but for volunteers, you know, they can get used to how things are running and then a new person comes in and then they go, okay, I have to get used to this uh, new person and the way they run things. And I hope we get along and I hope we like, but you came in as a new person and you had to deliver the boom, which Maybe for some of them, you know, unfortunately, they might have thought in their heads, oh, this new person right away wants to get rid of us. You know what I mean? Wants to put the hammer down on us, is not going to be kind and is not going to be understanding. It doesn't really care about how we feel about things. I mean, that would be a natural reaction of some, not all people, but some people. Or did you even feel like you dealt with that? I, that was always something that was in the back of my mind as I was delivering that, you know, it just seemed like kind of tough update after tough update. Yeah. <laughs> um, talk about talk about starting off on the on the wrong foot. But in that in that kind of a situation, there's really no other foot to start off on, I guess. <laughs> I guess if you want to <laughs> we had we were forced to start off on on that foot there. I never really felt any any sort of backlash. We'll say everything that I received was very positive and very thankful for the information. I, I was wondering sometimes, am I sharing way too much information, <laughs> overloading folks? Because if there was important information that you know came out to me as a team member, I was taking that information, um, you know, what I could of that and trying to disseminate it to them to make sure you, even though that you're not here, I want you to almost feel like you are here and just get this feeling of, of, of what's going on right now. This little bit of, of news right here. What's the current caseload? You know, how many COVID patients do we currently have? What's, what's going on in this department? Just mm-hmm other little this other little blurb over here of course during this time period national volunteer week came around one two just the third <laughs> the third time this past uh, this past april and that's normally a time when we would be together celebrating you know giving gifts uh doing you know different things like that and so that especially was a time when i wanted to really amp up things and just really get that care out there that you are you are missed. We had staff members put together little signs and uh, those were posted on the, the health system's Facebook page. We miss our volunteers and just anything that we could do to let them know that they were still part of the family and always will be. But you know what, Wes, I don't 
I don't know if you realize how brilliant that is. And I'm saying that because, number one, and it doesn't matter if, I mean, a pandemic obviously makes it so much worse. But even when it comes to just daily things, or even when it comes to some sort of changes in policy or procedures or just changes in management, you chose to inform them so much that they never felt that they were not a part of the system, which to me is one of the most brilliant things you can do regardless of what the circumstances are and what the change is. Exactly, exactly. And that's one of the things that I have always felt very, very compelled to do is not only just with the sharing of information, but, and this might not work for everyone in every sector, but if there's an opportunity to involve volunteers in really anything that you would involve your employees, your team members with, bring them in. We have, for a lot of, I'm sure a lot of health systems, you know, have organizational development, you know, departments who put on certain classes. And I, you know, reach out to have reached out to that department to see how can volunteers also sign up for this class on effective communication. We've had our security department do classes on active shooter and other types of things. And I make sure the volunteers have an open invitation to come in, you know, be a part of those. This is, you know, essential information which um there there is being given out to all of our all of our team members. So I want them to take advantage of these things as well. So anytime that there's an opportunity to involve the volunteers, go for it. I'm always on board with that. One of the things that really comes up all the time is we want more training. Exactly, exactly. And you will have a lot that will take you up on that. Now, some might say, you know, all they're interested in is their volunteer shift every single week, and that's really all they want to do. And that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was... Uh, honestly, sometimes surprised by the number who that would that would come back to me and say, I'm really interested in this. Can you sign me up? Or I'm interested in that. How do I how do I get on board? How do I get signed up? <laughs> can I can I bring my family? <laughs> you know, what what better way to just, you know, kind of make makes folks feel make folks feel more at home than really just having them around as, as much as you can, including them on things that you feel are important to them and actually to the organization. And you didn't grow up thinking, I want to be a volunteer manager, did you? I mean, you're not one of, one of, one of those. I, I don't I don't think it was a childhood dream. <laughs> and it's, it's funny because I, I think on some of the podcast episodes that I've listened to, it, it seems like something that often finds us um, <laughs> uh, instead of us finding it. And you're right. I had my background primarily has actually been in radio. I started spent 13 years in small market radio in my hometown down in Florida, which is which is still really really odd to me because I was a painfully shy child growing up. I don't know how I got into radio. It found me <laughs> as well. So, but I spent 13 years um, doing that, and it I really credit it with a lot of the skills that I have today, whether it's being comfortable in most situations with different populations, different types of people, 
being as much of a people person as I can be, uh, just being interested in people and also just kind of having the the being on, I guess you want to say the always always on type of uh, of personality, which I think is is very important in you know in this type of role because you you have to be on. I don't think I don't think we're allowed to um, flip the switch and be off around uh, around the volunteers. So <laughs> we we can't be our crabby selves. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Literally, I was at a a mom and pop radio station. It was owned by a husband and wife team. So we were just really, really just this this center point of the community, whether or not I was, um, you know, in the office doing on-air work, doing off-air work. We got to meet different members of the community. We were also out in the community at any opportunity just to, you know, get whether it was, you know, some kind of uh, local fair or local, just any local event to, to be out there and just meeting and greeting and talking with people. And it's it's that's just something that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy is is being able to to kind of, you know, mix and mingle with folks chat a little bit, probably learn something new, learn something interesting. The thing about radio and what I said was you you think radio people talk at you, and that's not true, is you as a radio personality and being out in the community, you have to somehow engage your audience so that they continue to listen to you. You can't just bark at people. You honestly have to be an extremely intelligent people person and have some really saturated people skills in order to have a radio show that people listen to. So did that translate over into volunteer management? I think it did. And I think the the biggest portion of that that probably transitioned over would be just giving someone this, I feel like I use the word nurturing way too, way too much, but this nurturing, this cared for you matter type of environment and experience. And one thing that I always, you know, thought of as I was, you know, on the air, it's like, who am I talking to right now? Is it someone who's just sitting there quietly listening really intently? Am I providing them with a little bit of extra just happiness in their day? Do they have me on just as maybe, you know, background noise or something like that? But I always thought of it as just providing, um, hopefully, a nice, calming voice, which I, I think I have that, hopefully. Also, just a little bit of companionship, things like that. So I, I want to say that I feel like that is is really the, the biggest part that kind of transitioned from one to the one to the other, just that that level of companionship. Exactly. And I'm so I was hoping you would say something like that, because it is so true. We as volunteer managers do not have pay to offer volunteers perks, maybe a little bit, but we don't have money. We don't have a salary to give them. So just like with your radio audience, you're not giving you're not paying them to listen to you. You have to engage them and bring them in and pull them in and feel connected to them, have them feel connected to you and your radio station. Same thing with volunteers. So I I think you being a people person on the radio probably just leaped 
beautifully into uh, volunteer management. But let me ask you this. Was there something about volunteer management that surprised you when you got into it? Oh, that is a great question. And I think one of the things that surprised me really the most was I I knew going in, I knew volunteers cared. I, volunteers have to have to care about what they're doing, what their their role is. Otherwise, they, you know, wouldn't be there. They wouldn't be, you know, performing that task or performing that that duty or, or you know, whatever. What surprised me the most was the level of care that some volunteers have. But no, without mentioning any without mentioning any names, it's really, really interesting to see. And it's it was just kind of I was kind of taken aback by the level of intensity that and protection that a lot of folks had for their volunteer roles, which is it's just such it was just such a really, really heartening thing to see. Sometimes you you were you might be of the mindset that you know, volunteers just come in, they do a task and they leave. But the amount of care and love that some have, you know, an intense amount of towards their position was just it, it kind of blew me away in some aspects. I have one volunteer in particular that I didn't give I didn't give her the nickname, but there there were there were certain folks that called her the general uh, if she was on the warpath about about how something should be done or um, this this wasn't being done right, very very impassioned, and it was all for the benefit of the patient experience of the guest experience. That was that was what she was looking out for, and I think that's the case with a lot of volunteers. You know, if if something needs to be changed, they give us those opinions uh, to help make things better for all of us. And and you're right. You know, they have a lot of passion. And and that surprised me too, when I first got started was that they were not just fulfilling a job, they actually had interest in what they were doing far beyond what, you know, normally you would expect of someone. So as far as COVID, what, what a dumb question, what changed after COVID? You told me something about a forced rebuild. Can you expound on that a little bit? What's a forced rebuild? Well, absolutely. Like a lot of people, of course, coming into a new job, I had this to-do list right when I was right when I was jumping on board. These things that I saw that I just immediately wanted to make make positive changes to, I'll say. And like a lot of your listeners, I'm sure that to-do list from March of 2020 is probably laying around here somewhere just <laughs> uh, covered in dust Yeah, because everything just really, really got upended. And it was time of, like you said, this forced rebuilding that we, we had to do. Every volunteer role in the, in the health system was impacted in some way. Now, of course, that started out with the overall, you know, system-wide suspension of volunteers. But as we were bringing, started to bring volunteers back, we were actually lucky to be able to start bringing some of our first volunteers back just a few months later, which was wonderful. But roles, they were still going to be impacted. They were going to be changed, whether it was by masking or by having a plexiglass partition in your area 
And so even those roles, as we started to bring them back, they were going to be changed or affected in some way. And we were only able to bring just a couple of different roles back there at the start. One thing I will add along with masks and plexiglass, uh, cleaning requirements, personal protective equipment, uh, wearing safety goggles, and some of these things that, you know, the volunteers had never really had to do in the in their daily roles. They were having to add these into their to their duties as part of this kind of new normal that we were were moving into. And it was a long time before we were even able to get back onto some of the patient floors, uh, into some of the uh, patient rooms, just depending on how things were going. So in doing all of this, we really had to take a look at every single service description and see what needed to be added in, what new protocols needed to be to be put in there. Are you going to have to enter the building through this entrance that you've never come in before because some of the other ones are closed off right now? And just different things like that. What's the, what's the process um, for cleaning this piece of equipment now? I used to use this and now I have to use that. So many, so many different things that had to be changed in those service descriptions and in those, you know, the orientation materials and different things like that. So it it hit every little bit and just kind of really forced us to to look at how we are going to move forward with all of this. It's easy for me to say this, but Sometimes a forced change can actually provide an opportunity. You know, did you get to introduce anything off your list? <laughs> well, I will say um, the use of more technology. <laughs> yeah. Okay. When you're not allowed to do an in-person orientation, um, you can uh, do a digital one. And that's really, um, you know, the, I think the way things are kind of moving in, you know, these ways that we can use technology to expedite, you know, any, any process. I think that really did help nudge that a little bit, a little bit more, but going back to also what you were saying about continuing on the, on that forced rebuild and having to, to make these adjustments along with making the changes to the current roles that we had, we did, there were a lot of opportunities to see where we could help in this new world. For example, if your volunteer role was just completely taken away, if there was if that opportunity was was not there, could we possibly get it back there in some way, some adjacent form maybe? I'll, the example I'll give is if you go into a hospital, one of your first stops probably is going to be an information desk or a welcome desk and Pre-pandemic, that was always um, run by our volunteers, and now that is being run by security and screeners who do uh, more in-depth things. So we had the opportunity to just kind of take a look at that and see where there might be some opportunities to help. So we created a position that would assist with not all of the previous aspects, but assist the security and assist the screeners up front um, in in doing what they were doing. They weren't, you know, doing the exact same job, but it was just 
it was kind of adjacent. Our pet therapy program, when it was able to come back, we still were not able to go to go into patient rooms. So we took this as an opportunity to begin regular staff visits where the the dogs and the pet therapy volunteers would come in on certain days and make rounds to solely visit the staff and boost them up, encourage them. Mm-hmm. They went everywhere, administration, human resources, uh, nurses stations, all over the place, just solely visiting the staff. So along with the technical changes into the roles, we had to do kind of enable others to see what where we could bring back people, what little, what, what niche can we fit into now with what's going on? I'm a bit of a bright sider. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> so not that I, not that I uh, don't have the um, glass half empty moments, you know, from, yeah. <laughs> uh, here, here and there, but I do like to look at change as opportunity whenever possible. It's, I, I have a, I have a tough time hearing um, flat out no's as an answer. <laughs> is there any way that something could happen? Any small little little ray of sunshine in there that we can take and we can try to make this work. So I'm, I'm, I'm one of those folks who always looks for the opportunities for things to happen. And I'm sure the volunteers pick up on that, which is another form of communication with them. We're going to try. And what more can you ask for from that? So with Change management then, Wes, what do you think is the most important, and I know that's heavily weighted, the most important when you are in the midst of change management? What stands out to you as something to always keep in mind? I think the one thing when it comes to change is always just make sure you have the right folks on board and that you're communicating openly and transparent about everything that is going on with the folks who need to know that information. And if something just is not going to happen, you you do get that flat out 100% no, this cannot happen. Just be open and be blunt (laughs) about that. Don't be sugarcoated just a little bit. Don't go in too, too bluntly. I've always been a person who is really, really focused on making sure that all the all the right people are looped in, whether it be just the entire group of volunteers or, or a small subset who perform, you know, one certain role or, you know, a certain department within the hospital where this change is happening. Always making sure the right people are looped in and the communication is regular and it is transparent. Those 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 are my that's one of my biggest, biggest things. And I guess you might call it a pet peeve too when it's when the right people aren't included. <laughs> You're right. And and I would guess that you're very good at follow-up because I found that with change management, if I didn't do follow-up, that volunteers would pretend they were okay or they would try to be okay for a while and then boom, they would blow up and go, We're not okay with this. And I'd be like, Oh, I should have followed up with Exactly, exactly. The follow-up is important. Just even even after you get that that resolution, just do at least one more one more check in on that certain thing just wanted to just wanted to follow up on that and make sure everything was still still in line with where it needs to be now during all this did you have any volunteers who sadly were not able to ad- 
adapt to change or maybe volunteers who uh, couldn't really go through the protocols anymore. Maybe they were, and I hate to say it, but aging out or, you know, something of that nature. And, and what did that kind of look like to you? Yes, there. with that, there were actually quite a few different scenarios that I came, came across. And uh, yeah, for lack of a better uh, phrase, aging out is just kind of what comes to mind. It's not to say that I was living in some sort of bubble here, but it's, it's almost like, you know, going to the family reunion one year and then going to the family reunion the next year and the, the kids have grown up and you don't recognize them. <laughs> I was expecting the volunteers just to walk back in the door and just after, after, you know, almost three years, to be exactly the same as they were in March of 2020. And uh, we all know that that's not, not happening. So there were there were some volunteers who decided that, you know, during this time, it was just kind of the best time to retire out of volunteering. There were, you know, some levels of fear with others. They probably will not be back until COVID is eradicated. And I, I, I hope... <laughs> I hope that day, I don't know if that day will ever come. There were some that moved in with family, moved away from the area. There were some that I spoke to as I was doing my you know, regular communication, whether it be emails, phone calls, just any way, even texting with some to um, check in. There's so many different avenues. of, And so I think I was, I was using, all, using all of them all at the same time. There were some that just... We had, you know, long, good, long conversations and, you know, talking about some of the, the job duties and maybe the way things had, had changed or this was going to be a requirement for this position. And it was just something that they were not going to be able to fulfill. And that's it's one of those things that you, you have to you have to kind of accept. And it's kind of a tough thing. And sometimes there just aren't ways to to make things happen, to change things enough that that volunteer can can be brought back in for, for that position. You know, I'm sure a lot of folks out there have the volunteers who are sticklers for their certain position or their day of the week or their time slot. And anything outside of that, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> you, know, you know, there were there were some cases of those, and and you just have to try to either build an opportunity or find an opportunity to, like I was saying earlier, find something that might be adjacent or semi-adjacent to that along those same lines. Offer it up, and and that's really all you can do in in certain situations. So, it was you know a tough experience losing some of the volunteers that I did. But again, looking on the on the bright side of things, I'm glad that those volunteers are doing what's best for them, and that's always what I want them to do in the end, anyway. Most of the volunteer managers I've come in contact with, talked to over the years. Uh, that's one of the really, really difficult things to do is have those conversations, challenging conversations with volunteers. I know there's formulas out there. I had a formula, but do you have an, like an open, are you one of the sandwich people where you, you start off nice and then you, you whammy them and then you start off, you, you end up nice again? Or do you have some sort of not formula, but, you know, maybe a teddy bear you would clutch? because <laughs> I did. <laughs> I will say, like, I avoid tense conversations. <laughs> 
Um, just a, as much as I can. I, I'm not a person who likes to be in those situations, but whenever there is, you know, the need for that, I, I am one of those um, compliment sandwich types. <laughs> I, I will, I will go in with something nice or something up lifting then just try to try to get into into the tense part of things and then say but the silver lining to this is or but here's but following here's some great news <laughs> to, to, uh, so I, I i am one of those those sandwich individuals whenever it comes to to, to having difficult conversations hey thanks wes so much uh we're going to stop right here And the second part of this particular podcast will come out in a week or so, where Wes and I talk a little further about diversity, the future of volunteer management, and also some things that may have surprised him as a new volunteer manager. So thanks, guys. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Volunteer Plane Talk podcast. Big thank you to Alternate Timelines for the use of their music. For more volunteer management talk, or if you just want to reach out to me, please visit my website, volunteerplanetalk.com, or you can catch me at Meridian Swift on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Until next time, this is Meridian Swift. Thank you and bye-bye.